Hello. In this episode, I want to continue reading from my newest book, The American Welfare State and Intellectual History. Remember, you can purchase this book now on Amazon or get the audio edition on, on audible.com, but it is read by someone else other than me. So here we go, continuing with the introduction. But at least the most powerful development from the Enlightenment was the beginning of the Western attitude of the perception of the value of each human life, <clears throat> along with the belief that mankind had the ability to improve human life and not be subject to the whims of nature or in the necessity of waiting for a good life in the hereafter, as been as had been promised for centuries to Europeans by the Roman Catholic Church. So this was a definite advance in the human experience over the millions of years of hominid existence that began in Africa, most scientists believe, in the nearly 8,000 years of recorded human civilization. Although some modern philosophers, such as Rousseau, Nietzsche and Heidegger having have countered this idea <clears throat> believing that the advent, advent of civilization has not been beneficial but harmful to human life. <clears throat> and the postmodern philosophers of the late 20th century believe that man does not have the innate ability to acquire the knowledge that would be required to attain a utopian human existence. The ancient Greeks began the intellectual opening in the Western world, and for the purposes in this book, would debate the concept of what would be the best form of government for humans. This was conducted mainly through the fundamentally conflicting political philosophies of Plato and Aristotle. They had no last names, I guess and launched a fundamental philosophical conflict between idealism and empiricism that continues to this day. <clears throat> and this is an epistemological problem. Epistemology is a branch of philosophy that deals with the theory of knowledge, that is, how do humans acquire knowledge about themselves in the natural world? And what is the capacity of humans to acquire knowledge that represents a true representation of not only the nature of humans and their behavior, but of all the natural world and indeed the whole universe? Idealism can have many definitions, but in general, it is a philosophical belief that humans have the full capacity to understand themselves and human behavior as well as the nature of the universe and also the ability to develop this knowledge into an overall coherent theme. And Plato believed that this knowledge could be used to create the ideal state as he outlined in his dialogue, The Republic. On the other hand, empiricists believe 
that reality or the nature of the universe is just too diverse or protean for humans to ever have complete knowledge of this of any kind of reality of the of the universe and of course human life and human interactions and human behavior just the whole human mind so they believe that it would be difficult to construct any kind of ideal human society and that they believe that humans can never fully acquire the needed understanding of the complexities of human beings and of nature. So any attempt to construct an ideal political state must fail in that reality can never fit nicely into ideology. This was the view of Plato's student, Aristotle. So political philosophy is ultimately the discussion of the nature of the human mind and its ability to acquire knowledge about reality. And for our purposes in this book, the ability of humans to use any knowledge about the nature of man and the natural world to develop a society that is most beneficial for human prosperity. The Enlightenment was the beginning of the dominant idea in the Western mind, as we've just mentioned, of the ability of the human mind to not only understand nature, but to dominate it and direct it to human ends. But this concept of nature is not a universal viewpoint around the world. The whole Western concept of the intent and the necessity of the mind of man Attempting to dominate nature is foreign to the minds of Eastern civilizations. These cultures generally hold the idea not of the famous conception of the Western philosopher René Descartes of a natural reality of the human mind versus the body, or more generally, the idea of the human mind being separate from the universe, but of the human mind and body as being one and being united with all nature and the rest of the cosmos. As the astronomer Carl Sagan once said, we are, all, we are all star stuff, referring to the fact that the elements that make up the human organism had, have come from a supernova that had exploded eons ago. The Taoist conception from Eastern philosophy is that not only is the universe governed by this dynamic interplay of yin versus yang, but that the same force resides in each individual human. The classic texts of Eastern philosophy, such as the Tao Te Ching and the I Ching, the Book of Changes, all emphasize the belief that the universe is in a constant state of change. It is the Western mind that seeks to discover or create a static state, whether in the utopian ideals of communism or even in the less controversial ideas of the political scientist Francis Fukuyama.
He declared after the Cold War between America and the Soviets ended in 1991 that it was effectively the end of history and now the world would forever exist in a state of blissful democracy. Let me pause here and get a drink, please. Of water. Time would stop as far as the political world was concerned. The whole concept of the idea of death in the Western mind, in which a human has a soul, and if his behavior is acceptable, will migrate to the afterlife, is foreign to the Eastern mind. In the West, the human ego is seen to be separate from nature. In this viewpoint, creates in most humans a fear of isolation and powerlessness amidst the awesomeness of nature. This results in the natural human desire to postpone the inevitability of death through science or with economic prosperity by way of capitalism. Whoever has the most toys can never die. Despite the intellectual opening that the ancient Greeks provided and that the leading philosophers were asking fundamental questions about the nature of man and politics, which are still with us today, their inquiries had limits. The Greeks were not really concerned about nor had any vision of the ideal of providing social and economic prosperity for all of its citizens. In fact, the Greek culture of not only Sparta, but Athens could be quite warlike, and their culture was highly dependent on slaves, and women, in effect, were seen as inferior creatures. The Greeks were quite pessimistic about the ability of humans to control their fate, as they believed that the gods held the ultimate control of their lives. Today, the ancient Greeks are celebrated in Western culture because they are seen as the originators of the political process called democracy, and the word itself is derived from the Greek language. And democracy, in its literal and pre-examined definition, is seen as a political process or a government that is, quote, run by the people, unquote. I will explore later how the word democracy should be defined and how it relates to the development of a nation's welfare state. But for now, the political effect of these, of the word on a given population is to ideally convey the emotional effect excuse me that a government has been established that is good that is for the good of the people and presumably is looking out for the social and economic interests of the individual 
Okay, I think it's this is enough for this session. I hope you enjoyed it, and we will continue. I will continue reading from my newest book in the next episode. Thank you for listening.